Today I was listening to that song. Every time I listen to this song, the, the artists who sing it, they're called Sela. It's an American group. Uh, it makes me cry. So she gave me a hard time about crying. But I always cry with that song when they sing it. So there's an old movie that I don't particularly recommend that you watch. But you know, sometimes there's a line in an old movie that sticks with you and you don't forget it. There's a man who appears to a woman and he tells her that he is a messenger from God. And she says, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in God. And he, he says something very profound. I want you to, I think you know this instinctively and intuitively, but I want you to know this intellectually, right? I want you to, I want you to be guilty of saying this to other people. I want you to say this often to other people in the world. Okay? Here's what he said. He said, some things are true whether you believe them or not. Amen? Now, isn't that, isn't that profound? Isn't that, in a, in a very simple way, profound? Don't you hear it all the time in the world? Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's really not pertinent to whether it's true or not. You know, a lot of people believe a lot of stupid things in the world. Just go to university. Really, I'm serious. Go to university. A lot of people believe a lot of stupid things. And, of course, the university is not the only place that you will hear it. Just listen to the media. People say, I believe that. Well, I'm glad you believe that, but everybody believes something. Is it true? Is it true? That's what matters. Not whether you believe it with all sincerity. People believe lies with all sincerity. Billions of people do this. Is it true, beloved? So I looked up the definition of true. You're going to like it. <laughs> the real state of things. The real state of things. Truth is not contingent upon whether you and I believe it. Truth just is. Truth is just there. And so your job, my job, is to find it. Is to find the truth. And not be deceived. As we know, the father of lies is seeking to do at every turn. I looked up the word reality. I thought it was a related word. Listen to this. The sum of all that is real, absolute, and unchangeable. I think that's a powerful definition. Again, these definitions don't care how you feel about them. Truth doesn't care how you feel about it. It's just true. Whether you're offended or not, it's true. Whether you like it or not, it's true. This is important in our age of postmodern relativism. Um, the truth is just there. You don't have to like it. You don't have to believe it. But that changes nothing. It changes nothing. Truth is not relative. It's not subjective. It is absolute. It is more dependable and more solid than the earth that we're standing on right now. This earth will pass away. But guess what? Capital T, truth never will. Right? 
And let's just stop right here and say it. Who is the truth? What did Jesus say? I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. So everything he is and everything he says matters more than anything anyone else has to say. He is capital T. Truth. Without question, modern man is better educated, more knowledgeable, more t technologically sophisticated than any other time in our history. We know a lot of stuff. You know a lot of stuff. And if you don't know it, all you got to do is Google it and you can know it. You can be pretty smart pretty fast. Just Google it, right? I Googled truth. 628 million hits. Okay? 628 million hits. I'm sure not all of those hits would lead me to the truth. We have fast computers, data banks, research facilities, beautiful universities, impressive libraries. The question is, have we gotten any closer to truth? And I say, at least in my lifetime, the world has drifted significantly away from truth in my lifetime. I'm 65 years old, and I've seen, I've seen the drift. Okay, Ravi Zacharias quote, I give it to you once or twice a year. It's the best quote on postmodern relativism. It's, 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 yeah, it's a home run. So I, here it comes. All right, let me, let me just read to you for a minute. Ravi says, Pluristic cultures are beguiled by the cosmetically courteous idea that sincerity is all that counts and that truth is subject to the beholder. Listen to this. In no other discipline of life can you be so stupid. He doesn't use that word, but it's true. Can you be so naive? In no other realm of life can you be so naive. He's talking about the spiritual realm. Listen to what he says. All religions are not the same. All religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not. And accordingly, of defining life's purpose. Why why does the world hate true Christians? I'm not talking about the false church. I'm not talking about the pseudo church that tries to fit in with the world. But true Christians. Why does the world hate us? Why? What do we say? We say we have the truth. Nobody else does. If you want the truth, you got to come to Christ. That's one reason, at least one reason, the principal reason the world hates us. Jesus said they hated me. They'll hate you too. If you speak truth into the world, you're going to get heat, right? Those of you who are out in the world and you speak truth, you're going to get heat. You're going to get heat for it. It's okay to talk about God generically. You start talking about Jesus Christ and see what happens. You can talk all day about God generically. There are millions of gods, apparently, lowercase g gods in the world. If you listen to the world, there are millions of gods. You start talking about Jesus Christ and the heat will come. Ultimately, it will come. I'm talking about the biblical Jesus, not the pseudo one that everybody loves. But the one who talks and brings heat and fire when he speaks. We know that today in what is called the modern church, many Christians have put themselves over the Bible, over the word of God, over the word of Christ. And they judge it and they say, well, we kind of like this part. We'll keep that, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to edit God on that. That's one thing I can say we've never done in 16 years. We've never edited God. I would rather you get up and walk out than me edit God. 
You know why? Because I take the heat, right? Your blood is on, yeah, your blood is on my hands. <laughs> your blood is on my hands. If I want to stand up here and edit God. You know, I had a guy come in, an American, some years ago, and, and I said to him, he said, well, tell me about your church. I said, okay, here's the deal. If you like the Bible, you'll like us. If you don't like the Bible, you won't like us. And uh, he actually did hang around for a while. Some people actually don't. So there's this arrogance, right, that, that we stand over the Word of God and we judge it and we edit it. I love what C.S. Lewis says about those who ridicule Christians who hold to the Bible utterly, totally, completely. I love what he says about, about these people who ridicule Christians for this. Listen to what he says. He says, the obvious answer to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups, they should not talk about them. I love that. The Bible is written for grown-ups, beloved. It's not that children can't understand it once they attain a certain age. But it's hard truth. It's cosmic truth. It's unchangeable, un unremitting truth. One thing Lewis is saying here with his comment is that Christians are the ultimate intellectuals. Now, I've met some really smart people in my lifetime. But I will say this, a born-again Christian, I would take the born-again Christian up against a 195 IQ, an unregenerate 195 IQ any day. I would. The unregenerate 195 IQ, every one of his presuppositions is wrong. If your presuppositions are wrong, you will end up in the wrong place. This is not hard to figure out. But it's one of the things I think Lewis is inferring that Christians are the ultimate intellectuals. And it's been my experience. The smartest, wisest, most practical people I've ever met have been true believers. And they exude this godly wisdom in their life. So Lewis is right. The Bible is a book for grown-up. Grown-ups, we, we find in the Bible the answer to ultimate questions. Does God exist? Well, yeah, He does. Of course He does. What's He like? Well, He tells us what He's like. How can I know Him? He tells us how to know Him. The Bible tells us about origins. How did we get here? Why are we here? Right? The purpose for which we're here. Is it, is it all about us? Or is it about someone infinitely more important than us? What about sin and evil? Why is there evil? Why is there sin? How did we get into this moral and existential predicament? Is there a way to get out of this moral and existential predicament? Which, of course, is the way of salvation. Why do I feel guilty? Why does my conscience condemn me? What about death? Why, why do we die? What happens after death? What about judgment? Is my conscience right? Am I guilty? Will I give an accounting to a higher authority? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Do they exist? And what are they like? Beloved, here's the deal. Everybody in the world has an opinion on these things. Almost everybody does. You know, unless they're smoking pot all the time. Almost everybody has a, an opinion about this. What I want to say to you, guess how much their opinion is worth? My favorite preacher back in the States, John MacArthur, 
I heard him in an interview one time. They said, well, Mr. MacArthur, what is, Pastor MacArthur, what is your opinion? He said, does the world need one more? Does the world need one more opinion? Let's see what God says. Here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to stop giving your opinion on these critical issues of life and death and, and moral issues out, out in the culture. I want you to stop giving your opinion. I want you to learn to say, God says... Learn to say the Bible says. Don't say I believe. Nobody cares what you believe. Because the person you're talking to believes something too. And they don't really care what you believe. But you can say the Bible says. You can say God says. That's important. You, nobody cares what you think. Really. I've learned this, okay? Old man. Been in the pastorate for a while. Nobody cares what I think. Out, out there, nobody cares at all. I mean, I'm, I'm less than a bug out there. But here's what you can do in the world. If you love people, you can say, God says. Don't waste their time with your opinion. You say, God says. Or the Bible says. So yes, this is, which one is it? The eighth sermon in our series on fleshing out and teasing out. Psalm 117, for those of you who have not been with us, we've been just teasing out what it means to praise God. What does it mean? It's not coming to church and singing or simply uh, mouthing words. That's not what God's talking about. God means for the praise to be alive in your life. He means for, if, you, if you're going to praise God in the sense that 117 is talking about, Psalm 117, it's to be alive in all spheres of your life. It's to permeate every aspect of your life. That's what God means when he talks about praising him. We've been saying that when God commands us to praise him, it's an invitation to come and enjoy him. That's what it means when you see the command in the Bible, praise God. God is giving you an invitation to come and, and enjoy him. He is the highest pleasure in the cosmos. He is the greatest treasure. So we've talked about in worship, we're fierce in praise. In submission, we're fierce in obedience. In the face of cruelty and abuse, we're fierce in persecution. In believing and trusting God, we're fierce in expectation, or we could use the word faith. In living our lives, we are all in on the sanctification fight. We're fierce in holiness. Last week, we talked about the fact that we are fierce with our money. We are fierce in giving. Will a man rob God? Yes, a man will. And most men do all day long. But we believe the words of Jesus, right? Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap uh, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. As we talked about last week, born again giving is never about law. It's always about desire. It's never about law. It's always about desire. And I think I said last week, if, you know, you give out of guilt, just stop. God doesn't want your guilt offering. What does he say in, in, in his letter to the Corinthians? What does he say? Don't give grudgingly or under compulsion. But be what? A happy giver. If you're not a happy giver, you should stop. You're just offending God. God only wants happy givers. This is not about guilt. It's not about law. It is about love and desire. So tonight I want to look at 
this life and eternity altering gift from God. God has revealed capital T truth to you. If you're a Christian tonight, God has sovereignly revealed truth to you. This is no small thing. In fact, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. If you love Jesus Christ, this was a sovereign disclosure. This is why Christians will praise God for a billion eternities and never grow weary. This is truly Psalm 117. Okay? This is truly what that is about. The Creator, Redeemer God of the Bible, He is the truth. We know the who, what, when, where, and why. We, he's told us. God doesn't answer every question in, that we might have in the Bible. That's not His desire. That's not His, His purpose. He tells you what you need to know. And you know what? You know, some of the hard things that he doesn't address, because I, I promise, I promise you, I get the questions. I get the hard questions. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? You know what God expects you to do with those questions? Trust him. You know him so well. You love him so much that you trust him. You trust him with the hard stuff, right? You trust him with the hard stuff. I'd rather have one revelation from God than 10,000 explanations from God. It's one lesson I've learned in my lifetime. So, as the Swiss apologist Francis Schaeffer used to say, the true believer is in on true truth. We're in on true truth. I've shared this with you before, and I'm going to get into some passages in just a moment. I've shared this with you before that my mentor years ago asked me the question, if you didn't have the truth of God, what would you give for it? And he wouldn't let me answer him immediately. He said, you, you go home, you come back tomorrow and you tell me. And so I'll just ask you, if you didn't have the truth of God, what would you give for it? Everything? Would you give everything for it? If you're a thinking person, you would give everything for it, right? Oh, wait. You have it. God's brought it to you. It's been translated into your language. It's on your shelf. It's the capital T truth of the cosmos, right? He's given you the truth. The truth of God that saves people from eternal condemnation. But Facebook's more fun. The biblical literacy in much of the church at large, I have to say, is appalling. It's just appalling. Um, you know, a lot of men and women died to have the Word of God. We need to think about these things. So why isn't the church and every other Bible preaching church 
this church and every other one in the world full to capacity. Why are these seats not filled? Why do you think it is? I bet you could guess. <laughs> Men hate the truth. Men hate the truth. I'm going to just give you some quick verses. If you want my list, email me. I'll email you my notes. Ecclesiastes 8.11 The hearts of men are given, to f are, are given fully to do evil. Ecclesiastes 9.3 The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Mark 7.20 That which proceeds out of the heart of man is evil and defiles him. John 3.19 Men love the darkness rather than the light. For their, evil, for their deeds are evil, Romans 3, 10, and 11. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who seek for God. Romans 1 is crystal clear. Men are holding down the truth. It's why, these, it's why we have empty seats here. Men don't want it. And many times if you preach it to them, they'll leave and never come back. They don't want it. They're not interested. They're going to hold it down. I was listening to Piper preach this text earlier. He says, every human being is born a spin doctor. You're a spin doctor about yourself, right? I'm a spin doctor. I can spin and rationalize better than anybody. And you can too. It's the way humans are, are born into this world, right? In a fallen state. You're a spin doctor. Lest you come to Christ and you stop suppressing the truth that's within your own soul and conscience. I had to do a word study of this Romans 1.18. Um, a word study on the Greek word translated suppress in seminary. It's proactive and it's aggressive. It's not that men can't find God. It's men what? They don't want God. Let's just be honest. Men don't want God. <laughs> That's why these chairs are empty. They don't want God. And they may fool themselves into thinking, I want some version of God, but not that biblical God, not Him. Not Him. I don't want Him. It's too black and white. I don't want Him. I don't want that God. So mankind is pushing down the truth with great spiritual and intellectual and emotional energy. Man is hindering the truth. He's restraining it. He's repressing it. He's stifling it. He is quashing it. He is quenching it. He is extinguishing it. He is annihilating, annihilating it from his own heart and mind. So I'm going to read this text to you. Just if you want to, you can turn there with me. Romans 1, 19 to 25. Romans 1, 19 to 25. It's one of the fundamental passages that you have to know as, as, a, as a believer, even as a human being, you have to know this passage. And if you're going to talk intelligently out in the world about the Christian God, you have to know this passage and about who man is. Romans 1, 19 to 25. Because that which is known about God is what? <clears throat> what does your text say? Evident. 
within them. For God, what? Made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Do you hear? You're, out with, you're without excuse, as am I. For even though they knew God, they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became, you know, you've been to university. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged, what does your text say right there? For they exchanged the what for the what? The truth for a lie. This is what natural man does. Whether it's a religious lie or a secular lie, a political lie, some cultural lie. Any lie is better than the truth of God because I can't be a spin doctor. I can't spin my own reality in the face of an awesome, consuming, fire God. I reject that God. I like... The nice, meek, and mild Jesus, who doesn't really care if I sin or not. He's so loving. He's going to save everybody. Well, okay, if you can find that in the Bible, please call me or email me, because I'm going to need to change all my sermons, okay? He's not going to save everybody. He's not going to do it. What is, what, is the, uh, what is the Gospel of Matthew say? The way is narrow and what? There are few who find it. So this Romans 1 passage is stunningly clear. Capital T, truth is in us. It's evident to us. It's clearly seen in the created order. There's no excuse for us. We have darkened our hearts. We have exchanged the glory of God for cartoon gods. We have exchanged His truth for our lie. Romans 1 makes it undeniably clear that this rejection of truth and rebellion against God is not simply an error. It's not a lapse in judgment. It's not a lack of understanding. It's not based on ignorance. It's a conscious choice. You read the Gospels. I've preached the Gospel of John a couple of times. One thing you notice in the Gospel of John, it's not that they didn't know who he was. They knew who he was. <laughs> it, it, it's not that they misunderstood. It's that they did understand. And they would not have this Christ over them. They would not have God over them. It's just clear in the Gospels. It's not that they misunderstood. It's that they hated it. They hated it. They hated it. So, let me finish up like this. A few more minutes. 
But here's where I'm going with the rest of this. So it begs the question for every believer in this room tonight, doesn't it? Why do you believe? If you were um, a suppressor of the truth, why do you believe? Why do you believe tonight? Did you just figure it out? Were you smarter than the rest? Why can we deeply and eternally incarnate Psalm 117? Why can we praise God from the core of our being? Why can we do it? Why will we never grow weary of doing it? And incarnating the, the command of Psalm 117. Why will we joyfully employ Psalm 117 forever and ever and ever? This is why 117, Psalm 117 becomes second nature to you and I. This is why Psalm 117 overflows out of our hearts. It's why Psalm 117 changes how we live every day. I'm going to ask you again, why do you believe? And how does knowing why you believe impact the reality of Psalm 117 in your life? If you truly understand why you believe the truth, you will never stop employing Psalm 117. So, let's take just a few minutes, look at a few passages. Were you smart enough to just figure it out? Were you fortunate to have good parents? They took you to church? Everybody seemed to be doing this pray the prayer thing and get baptized thing? And yeah, it seems okay. At least if there is a God, you know, I mean, at least, at least I'm check my box, right? Was it something you initiated or was it something God initiated? Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, 7. The mind, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. This was you. This was me, right? Our mind was set on the flesh, which the Bible says is hostile toward God. This is capital T, truth. This is the truth about man, right? You were once hostile toward God. That's what the Bible says. Why are you not now? I'm driving to a point here, so I want you to stay with me. What happened? Why do you love Psalm 117 now? Which, for those of you who don't know, Praise the Lord three times in two verses. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let all the earth praise the Lord, right? Why do you love it now? There was a time when you didn't love it. Why do you love it? Why is it who you are at the core of your being? Why is that true now and it wasn't true before? What I'm going to say to you, it's way bigger than I just prayed the prayer. And I got baptized and I joined the church. It's way bigger than that, beloved. So what I'm going to say to you for the rest of the sermon is this is how real, this is one reason real Christians can envision an eternity full of praising God and never get tired of it. Okay? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.14, 
But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. You were once a natural man. It says you couldn't understand the things of God. You couldn't. It doesn't doesn't matter how many times you went to church. You couldn't understand the things of God on your own. You couldn't do it. What happened? Why do you love Psalm 117 now? Listen to the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Hey, what he's saying is you were part of the world, man. You were in the world. You were invested in the world. That's who you were. He goes on. Among them, we too all formerly walked in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You were a child of wrath. You were destined for eternal condemnation. What happened? Why do you now love Psalm 117? What happened? Was it because your preacher was such a good preacher? I assure you that's not it. What happened? The Bible says you were hostile to truth. It was foolishness to you. You were dead in your sins and you were a child of wrath. Why do you love Psalm 117? Listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Oh, it was veiled to you, according to the Bible. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? You were blinded at one time according to the word of God. Verse 6, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What does Jesus say in John 3? Men hate the light. What happened in John 9? What happened in John 9? Remember the blind guy? What did he say? Something happened to him once he was blind, but wherefore now I see. Beloved, if you see, it's a divine miracle. Some of you have never, ever considered this unspeakably great miracle that that started way before you ever prayed the prayer. This is why Christians love Psalm 117. This is why I will praise my God for a billion eternities and never grow weary. Religion didn't save me. Prayer didn't save me. Baptism didn't save me. God saved me. I could never save myself. God saved me. It's clearly what the Bible says. You may not like it. Your denomination may not teach it. But it's what God has to say. You know, John 3, men hate the light. (laughs) 
I'm sure I heard someone say this. It's not that men are simply victims of darkness. They are lovers of it. The Bible saying that at one time, you and I were lovers of darkness. But the 2 Corinthians 4, 6 verse tells us that God said, Let light shine out of darkness. He is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You were like the blind man in John 9. You had no hope of ever seeing till God spoke. God spoke. And the man saw. You were born again by the miraculous power of God and you saw. You not only didn't care about the truth before then, you hated it. Now, you may have had some church Jesus, some denominational Jesus that you liked just fine, but you didn't like the biblical one, the one who talks nine times about eternal condemnation. You don't want it. You don't, nobody likes that Jesus. So, you were dead, you were blind, you were hostile, you were suppressing the truth, you were by nature a child of wrath. But now you love Psalm 117. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's not a church thing. It's a supernatural miracle. The same power God used to create a two trillion galaxy cosmos is the same power He used to spoke, to speak life into your cold, dark, dead heart. Listen to Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, made us alive together with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, He caused us to be born again. Beloved, what I want to say to you is, if you're born again tonight, it's a, it's a God-sized, God-initiated, God-empowered, God-consummated, mysterious, beautiful, divine, miraculous, supernatural thing. And so I'm giving God His due tonight. You go in your average church and it's all about what you do. Well, what I'm talking about tonight is what God has done. And it's way past before, you know, you were a twinkle in your father's eye. God was saving you in eternity past. The text says it multiple times. Again, you may not like it, but that's ultimately beside the point whether you like it. The point is, is it true? Has God really predestined and elected His people? Or do you hate that truth? Do you ignore that truth? Do you edit God? As we talked about earlier. God means to understand that before the prayer, that, that before that point, that before, beneath, and beyond your decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ, He had already been at work for all eternity. This is why Christians love Psalm 117. You know why I meet a lot of lukewarm Christians? They have no clue. They're biblically illiterate. They have no clue what, has God, what God has put in to saving their souls. And what I want to say to you, if you ever become, you know, truly immersed in the Word of God, 
<laughs> yeah, you're going to have hard days just like the rest of us. But nothing can take your joy. It's like the Apostle Paul in jail in the, in the Philippians letter, right? No one can have his joy. You can't take his joy. Cut his head off. He doesn't care. His God loved him in eternity past, and his God came for him. His God has bled out for him, and his God has redeemed him, and nothing can change it. It doesn't really matter what you do to me. Nothing changes that. Nothing changes the most important thing in my life. So I'm, I'm trying to give you some perspective in here. Some of you came in here with some problems that you think, you think are pretty severe, and I'm not going to belittle that. But can I tell you, in all honesty, by comparison, the fact that God has saved your soul, can't you find joy in that? You're looking at the wrong thing. If you don't have joy in your heart, it is your fault. You're looking at the wrong thing. Look at God. Look at how God has loved you and how God has supernaturally and in a sovereign way saved you. Let me read this text. <clears throat> I'm just about finished. I think I read it to you a couple weeks ago. But, you know, some people have problems with predestination and election and... and um, I, feel, I feel sorry for them, but what I want to say to you is just keep pressing on, keep working on it, keep studying it, keep working on it, keep praying about it, keep working on it. Don't give up. But shame on you if you ignore it. Shame on you. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that they... that so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom he predestined he also called, and these whom he called he also justified, and these whom he justified he also glorified. I'm going to take just a minute, and I'm going to cover our responsibility in this. The truth of the Bible is you're saved by sovereign grace. And yes, of course, of course, of course, you must exercise the faith that God has given you. Ephesians 2.8. Faith is a gift. God has given it to you. You must exercise it. And if you haven't done that, I invite you to do it tonight. Of course, of course, of course you must employ the gift of repentance that God has given. 2 Timothy 2.25. You must turn away from your self-absorbed lifestyle of sin. And if you haven't done that, I invite you tonight to do that. And yes, of course, you must embrace the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. As you cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your sanctification, which you must do. It's your job. It's your job description. We've been talking about, was it a couple weeks ago, we're fierce in holiness. Kill the sin in your life. Kill it. Pick one and kill it. And then pick another one and kill it. And if you're joyless, if you call yourself a Christian and you're joyless, you need to kill that. You need to find out what's wrong. Because something's wrong. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God has made us alive. God has caused us to be born again. And you remember the words in John 8, 32. And I'm back to truth here, okay? 
Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and you will be free. You'll never be joyless again. Unless you choose to be joyless. C.S. Lewis is right. The Bible is a book for grown-ups in that it forthrightly deals with the truth regarding all the ultimate questions of life. And as the adopted children of God, we know the truth. We know the real state of things. By the sovereign love, mercy, and grace of God, we've come to understand the truth. And, oh yes, as Jesus said, we are free to live it. We are free. The truth, capital T, truth, has set you free. He has really loved us like this. He has enabled us to not only understand Psalm 117, but to love Psalm 117. So, we're fierce in the truth. We don't run from what the Bible says. It may make us uncomfortable. We may not initially warm up to it, but we know it's the Word of God. We receive it. We, we incorporate it into our lives. We live it, right? So we're fierce in the living and the telling of the truth. That's another, that's another implication of Psalm 117. You, you say you praise God? Are you praising God? Are you praising God for His sovereign love and grace? Are you praising God for all that He did before you ever had a notion about praying to receive Christ? Beloved, I'm going to tell you what I always tell you. It's not about you. <laughs> okay, we have, a small, we have a small group here. But some of you still think it's about you. When you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and it's all about you. This is one reason you may be joyless. It's about a great sovereign God who has drawn and saved and redeemed a people for the glory of His name and for the joy of our souls. So, I exhort you. You be fierce in living the truth and you be fierce in telling the truth. Let's pray.